Good morning. It's good to see everyone out. Uh, I've entitled the lesson this morning, The Three Requests of Moses. Let me find my page number here. I've entitled this lesson, The Three Requests of Moses, because lately I've been studying in this book, in the Psalm chapter 90 over the last couple of weeks. And I'm going to tell you, two weeks ago, I had no intention of preaching this lesson. This was not on my radar. I had a whole other lesson that I had planned to do, but some events in life kind of changed my thinking and some things have gone on that kind of changed my study. And I want to present that to you guys this morning. And hopefully it will bless you and uh, help you in your Christian walk. As we look at Psalm chapter 90, we see what's said to be a prayer of Moses. And we're not 100% sure when he wrote this prayer, what part of his life that this took place in. Some say it might've been somewhere around Numbers 20 where Miriam had passed away, where he had struck the rock, uh, and then also when Aaron had passed away. And definitely if you read this, the context would apply there, but I think it could apply to a number of different times as Moses was leading the children of Israel and they were suffering some consequences of their own actions. So as he is making this prayer, he makes some requests, and that's what I want to focus on a little bit this morning, three different requests that Moses makes. As we begin Psalm chapter 90 and verse 1, it says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth, or ever, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, return ye children of men for a thousand years in thy sight are as but yesterday, yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night. Peter also echoed this same sentiment in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 where he echoed what Moses was saying in verse 4 when he says, but beloved, be not ignorant of one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So what we're trying to get here and what, what Moses and Peter are both trying to express here is this idea is that God is eternal, that God was here from the beginning. He will be here long after this world is over. He's eternal. And in that, in that eternal being, he is very powerful. He's a powerful God. And we try to comprehend this idea of eternity and it's hard for us to understand. We don't quite get it. We can't wrap our mind around this idea of just life going on forever because we're so dominated by time in our society. If I'm not up by six o'clock in the morning, I don't get to work on time and it puts me in a bad mood for the whole day. I'm sure you guys have that same idea. You, you go through that same thing. We're so dominated by time. I remember when I was 14 years old, I couldn't wait till I was 16 because I knew at 16, I would get my driver's license. When I was 16, I couldn't wait till I was 18 because I knew I could go off to college and be on my own. And I look back at that and I'm thinking, what was I thinking? I was wishing for something that I had no clue about. But you know, time goes so fast and we have a hard time understanding that God exists outside of time. He's not mandated by time. He's eternal. And just that is power. And Moses here is expressing the grandeur and the power of God. And as he goes on in the next verse, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 90, verse 5, he says, Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it, flourish, it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. 
So he's talked about the eternal being of God, and now he's talking about our human frailty. Physically, we are a frail people. I can attest to that because every morning, I'm only 38, and every morning I wake up and I find something else that hurts that I didn't even know existed. It seems like every day there's something else that hurts, right? My body is frail because time has passed in my life. My body wasn't made to to last forever. And time is short. What Moses says here, he compares us to grass. So in the morning, the grass, it's green and it's bright and is growing. By the evening after the sun is beat down on it, it's withered and yellow and dead. And it's gone in a matter of time, in a short matter of time. Life is short. I think of the fact that my daughter is 10 years old. It seems like just yesterday that I was holding her in my arms, but that's been 10 years ago. When you're young, you look to the future and you think 80 years is a long time. I'm halfway there. And it doesn't seem as long now as it did when I was about eight years old. Time is short. Then Moses goes on and he talks spiritual frailty. In Psalms chapter 90 and verse seven, he says, for we are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath, we are troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance for all our days are passed away in wrath, in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. So not only are we frail physically, we're frail spiritually. We're all sinners. We sin. We fall to that sin. That temptation is hard for us to bear. And many times we're not successful in saying no to it. We're frail. And I, this idea takes me back to, the, to Adam and Eve. And again, I've told you, I like those memes. I don't know, those memes that, that the young kids do these days, you know. Those memes are funny to me. And you, you see those memes that say, you had one job. And it says SOTP at a school crossing walk. You had one job, right? Well, Adam and Eve, you had one job. Don't eat of that fruit that's in the midst of the garden. And yet they did that. And because of that, sin was brought into the world. And because of that sin, death was brought about. And we see that in Romans chapter five and verse 12, where he says, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. If we're sitting here this morning and we're of an age of accountability, we have sinned because we're weak, because sin makes us weak. And if we do nothing with that sin, we're hopeless. We're frail, we're weak because of sin. You see, sin brings death. But luckily we have a God who made provision for that. Because the fact is, is sin is not a condition that we can fix on our own. It's not something that we can fix by ourselves. Only through God. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 9, he says, but we have had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. Where do we put our trust? It has to be in God. Because when you understand the idea that physically you don't have a long period of time here on this earth and spiritually you have a hard time dealing with sin, 
if you have no way to reconcile that and fix that, that's a scary thought. But luckily we have a God who did make provision for that and sent his son to die on the cross for us. We are frail. Moses goes on in verse 10 and he continues this idea. He says, the days of our years are three score and 10, three, three score years and 10. And if by reason of strength, they be four score years. Yet is their strength, labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So in verse 10, once again, he's saying, you might make it to 70 if you're lucky. You might make it to 80 years old. But still, that time's gonna come to an end. And once again, I'm, I'm almost 39. So I'm almost halfway to what he says, if you're strong. And I, I don't consider myself to be strong in too many ways. 80 years is a short period of time and it's gonna go in a matter of seconds in, in, compared to God's eternity. What are we doing with our life? Where's our focus? Moses goes on in verse 11 and he says, who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. Too many times, we have this false assumption that we have a lot of time left. And I don't think we truly believe in God's wrath at times. I know many in, in the religious world don't. You hear it all the time. God won't send us to hell. God is a God of love. There's no way he would punish us like that. The fact is, is while God is a God of love, he is also a God of justice. He's a God of justice and sin has to be dealt with. Sin has to be taken care of. And that means we have to have a certain amount of fear of God, a certain amount of reverence in God, understanding that if our sins are not taken care of, that we will be punished. Psalm 33 and verse 18, he says, behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. We need to be looking to God and understand, and understand that if we have not obeyed the gospel, we're running out of time because we are frail spiritually and we are frail physically. So as Moses goes on in chapter 90, he, he continues to talk, but he kind of changes his direction here, and he makes some requests of God. You see, Moses has just talked about how uh, the, the fact that God is eternal. He's talked about how frail we are and how we need to have a fear of God because we are frail. We need to make a change, don't we? So he makes his first request in verse 12. He says, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So Moses says, teach us to number our days. So when you think about that idea of numbering your days, it doesn't mean that you know when you're gonna die or you have a relative idea. We have no clue. I know some of you guys get on Facebook and you press that game and it tells you when you're gonna die. I've seen that. It shows a tombstone and it'll say, so-and-so died February 5th of 2052 because they choked on a donut or something. Something silly like that, right? And I'm gonna tell you, Facebook knows a lot about you. 
It knows a lot, probably more than you want it to know. But it doesn't know when you're going to die. That's no clue. And neither do you. And what it means to number our days is that idea that we don't know when we're going to die. It could be today, it could be 50 years from now, but knowing that, we are going to be prepared for when that happens. We're going to number our days. You know, our society, our world teaches us to plan ahead, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I have a retirement account. It's probably pretty small. I probably need to talk to Zane over there. But the fact is, we plan our lives and we make these plans, but too many times these plans don't include God. We don't consider God in these plans. How many times have you heard of somebody who's gone off to college somewhere and made a plan to go to this college and never once thought about their spiritual well-being because there's not a church anywhere around? Or somebody who's taken a job that's gonna take all of their time and leaves them no time for God or family? Or what about that decision just to go out and do what makes us happy because we think we have plenty of time? We just don't know. James, anytime, anytime you, you hear a lesson about the brevity of life, you're gonna hear James 4 and 14. I'm gonna go ahead and back up a little bit because I think what he has to say applies very well with what we're talking about this morning. In verse 13, he says, "'Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow "'we will go into such a city "'and continue there a year "'and buy and sell and get gain. "'Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, "'for what is life? "'It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time "'and then vanisheth, vanisheth away. "'For that ye ought to say, "'If the Lord will, we shall live, "'or do this, or do that.'" James eloquently lays out the idea of the brevity of our life, and he puts it into perspective for us. He says, we make these plans in confidence that we're gonna go do this or that, but we don't consider the fact that we might not be here to do those things. James even goes on in that chapter to talk about how arrogant it is to live that way and sinful, and could lead to our destruction. It's arrogance to believe that we have all of this time, and it's especially arrogant to believe that we can make these plans without including God. We've got to include God in our plans. I think of the farmer in Luke chapter 12 who had a, had a bumper crop, right? He said, I I'm gonna take my goods and I'm going to build barns for me and I'm gonna put all that back so I can live for many years. And yet that night he died. He wasn't prepared. You know why? Because he hadn't included God in his plans. Are we including God in our plans? Because if we're not, we're not truly numbering our days and we're putting ourselves in a very dangerous position. We've gotta be very careful. The world that we live in makes us feel like we have ample time. I always hear that saying, sow your wild oats. They're sowing their wild oats while they're young. They don't have time, do they? Not necessarily. Jeffrey and I worked with a guy several years back at the appraisal district. 
I think he was about 24 years old, pretty young guy. You would think he would have plenty of time. He was about to get married in a month. One month, he was gonna get married. He was planning his honeymoon. He was figuring all that out. He went home one day after work. He lifted a dirt bike off the back of his truck. He had an aneurysm and he died. Never woke up. You would think he would have plenty of time, wouldn't you? Just because you're young doesn't guarantee us that we have more time. And we have to understand that. And because of that and having that understanding, numbering our days means that we live in a way that we understand that we might be gone tomorrow and we're gonna make sure we're ready to go today. Are we ready? Are we numbering our days? You know, 1 Peter 2, verse 10, he's talking to to the Gentiles here, and he says, which in times past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against your soul. He's saying, you have an opportunity to live an eternal life with God. Don't mess with those fleshly lusts. Don't let sin take over because it could cost you your soul. Paul, to Titus in, chapter, in Titus chapter two and verse 11, he says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's saying, deny the ungodly and live a life that's sober, godly, and righteous. And here's how you do that, by looking at the hope that you have through Jesus Christ. Is that our motivation today? Is our motivation today that Jesus Christ died for our sins and has prepared a place for us? Is that what we're we're living for today? I hope so. That should be our motivation. You know, as Joshua, Moses has died. Joshua is about to enter into the promised land with the children of Israel. He's about to lead them. And no doubt he understands that he's gonna experience some tough times. And here's what God told him. He said, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You know what he's telling Joshua here? You wanna be prepared to go into that land? You wanna be ready? Get in my word and do it. And the same thing applies for us. If we wanna be prepared for what's to come, let's get in God's word and let's do it. That's our motivation. And that leads us to the second request that Moses makes to God. In verse 13, he says, "'Return, O Lord, how long? "'And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. "'O satisfy us early with thy mercy, "'that we may rejoice and be glad all our days.'" Make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. We need to look for satisfaction in the mercy of God. That's a request we need to be making to God every day that we can be satisfied 
in God, in his mercy, in his love. But you know, too many times we get separated from God or really we just wanna do what we wanna do. We wanna live the life that we wanna live and we look for f- fulfillment everywhere but God. We look for fulfillment in, in drinking, in drugs, in entertainment, in self-help books. Moses had, had the right idea here. He said, let us find mercy. Let us, let us find satisfaction in your mercy. Let us find satisfaction in your love because the fact is, is we'll never find fulfillment in the things of this world. When we're separated from God, we have a void in our lives that can't be filled by anything but God because the things of this world just won't do the job. First John chapter two and verse 16, it says, for all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of the life is not of the father, but is of the world and the world passeth away. And there's your answer. Why can't you find fulfillment in worldly things? Because the things of the world pass away. But I'm gonna tell you, God never will. He's eternal. We've established that. Moses established that in the beginning of this chapter. And he says, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You wanna find joy? You can find it in his mercy. You can find it in his word. And what a humbling and sobering thought that is. And if we're separated from God this morning or we're having issues, let's plead to God that we can find that satisfaction, that fulfillment in him and no other. You know, I believe Moses, that's exactly what Moses realizes here when he's asking God to satisfy them with his, with his, with his mercy and his love. You know, when we fail to number our days, many times we fail to seek God's mercy. We fail to put God as the priority that he should be in our lives. We need to have an eternal perspective. Forget the things of the world and understand that what we have in eternity through Jesus Christ is far better than anything on this earth. I think Paul really understood this fact. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul has a thorn in the flesh, something that's bothering him. He asked God over and over to take this away. And here was God's response. God's response was this, my grace is sufficient for thee for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Where did Paul look for his joy? In Christ. Even though he had to bear that thorn in the flesh, he knew that he could find joy in Christ. Just like like Trevor's talked about in his study of Philippians, we can find our joy in Christ. If you go on, listen to what Paul says and listen to his perspective here. He says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know how Paul was able to have this mindset? Because it wasn't about Paul. He was seeking his satisfaction in the mercy and love of God. Nowhere else. You know, Job, you think about Job and you think about the issues that he suffered through in his life. Elihu Elihu comes and he talks to him in chapter 36 and verse 11. And this is what Elihu has to say. And I think it's, 
it's pretty interesting. He says, if they obey and serve him, he shall spend their days in prosperity. They shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. You know, we think of that from a worldly perspective and we think, oh, money, he's gonna take care of us. Everything's gonna be good. But that's not what he's saying here. Because no longer, when we become a Christian, no longer do we have a worldly perspective. We should have an eternal perspective. And prosperity and pleasures no longer come from worldly things, but they come from Jesus Christ. Where's our eternal perspective today? Are we pleading with God to satisfy, with, satisfy us with his mercy? Are we asking God to make him enough for us? I hope so. And I think that's what Moses understands here is hinting here in verse 15 when he says, make us glad according to the days wherein thou hast afflicted us and the years wherein we have seen evil. If we find joy in Christ, we'll make it through anything. And we don't have to worry about the worldly things. And that's, that's the prosperity, that's the blessing that comes from Christ. But you know, as Moses goes on, he makes another request. And he says, establish the work of our hands. In Psalms chapter 90, verse 16, he says, let the work, let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. I think this is Moses' understanding that yes, we're gonna ask God to satisfy us with his mercy. We're gonna ask God to help us number our days. But we, as the children of Israel, bear some responsibility in that. Because God's not just gonna take us in this current state and just be okay with us on the status quo. It takes us striving to live for God. It takes us dedicating our lives to God. Does that mean that we're free from mistakes? Does that mean that we're free from sin? No, but where is our goal? Is our goal to serve Christ or is our goal to serve ourselves? You know, this still applies to us just like it applied to the children of Israel. We have to strive to live a life that God can find approval in. No, the world will tell you today, the religious world will tell you today at a lot of times that you do what makes you happy. If you find what makes you happy, God's gonna be happy with that too. And I don't believe that's what the word of God tells us or teaches us. I believe the word of God tells us that we need to strive to serve God. But too many times we're selfish and we wanna do what we wanna do. We wanna please ourselves. We want to raise our status. You know, Philippians 2 and 21, he says, for all seek their own, Paul talking here, he says, not the things which are Jesus Christ. What are we seeking today? Are we seeking the things of our own and hoping God is pleased with those? Are we seeking the things of God and knowing that he will be pleased in our efforts to do that? Because it's important how we live our lives. It's important the decisions we make here on this earth. If we try to live a life outside of God and away from God, 
No matter what we do, it's gonna be in vain. Psalm 127 verse one, it says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. We have to change our direction. We have to change our will. It bears some, we bear some of the responsibility. God is gladly, he will gladly give us mercy. But we can't just continue in sin like it says in Romans. We need to strive to live a life for God and live a life for Jesus Christ. You know, I use Romans chapter 12 and verse one a lot in my lessons. And I, I really think it's, it just shows the contradiction that we see a lot of times in the world today. You know, we talked about God being a God of love. Yes, he is, but he is also that God of justice. And when we submit our lives to God, which is what we do when we're buried with him in baptism and we obey that gospel, he has an expectation that we become servants of him. Romans chapter one or 12 and verse one, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present yourselves a living sacrifice, your body's a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's not saying you become a Christian and you go do what you wanna do. What that's saying is you become a Christian, you obey God and obey that gospel and you transform your life because it's no longer about you. It's about God. Galatians chapter two and verse 20, Paul once again says it perfectly. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul here is saying, it's no longer about what I want. It's no longer about what I desire. It's no longer about what I feel. It's now about God. It's now about serving God. It's now about making my will his will. And I, th I think we see a perfect example of Paul doing this in 1 Corinthians chapter three, when he goes to the church of, at Corinth. And there's some divisions there. Some are saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter. And here was Paul's response to that. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. See, God is the great unifier. Paul could easily said, I have these followers. He could have easily took that as a, hey, I'm a pretty good guy, right? That's not what he did. You know why? Because he understood that it wasn't about him, but it was about God. He understood that it wasn't about his will, but it was about God's will. His goals were not his own. His goals were now God's. He transformed his life. Have we done that today? Is that how we're living our lives? Where it's not our will, but it's God's will that we're seeking after daily. That's how we number our days. And I guarantee you that if we live a life directed by God's word, that he's gonna establish the work of our hands. You know why? 
because we're not accomplishing our goals, we're accomplishing his. And that's what it's about. Are we accomplishing his goals today? You know, Psalm 1 and 1, he says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You know how you're gonna prosper? And again, we're not thinking of that worldly prospering, we're thinking of that spiritual prospering. We're thinking of expanding the kingdom. You know how you're gonna expand the kingdom? Is letting God work through you, making his will your will, making his goals your goals. And when you do that, the works of your hand will prosper. And that's exactly what Moses is talking about here. So two weeks ago, I told you I I had a whole different lesson. I scrapped it. Maybe you'll hear it next time, I don't know. But things kind of changed my, my thinking. We were, we were here, I was sitting right there in the same pew I was sitting at today. Trevor had this great lesson about anxiety and I, I've shared this with you. Anxiety is something that I struggle with and I, I fight against. But you know, if, in case you don't know, we have moved out of our house, we sold our house. We're buying a new house, but there's kind of this limbo time because somebody thought they needed 45 day closing, Right? But luckily, we've been blessed and we have this great place to stay. But you know, two weeks ago, sitting in there, he's talking about anxiety. And I just think there's plumbing issues at this new house. And I don't know if she's gonna fix the plumbing issues. I don't know if we're gonna have to cancel this contract. And if we cancel the contract, I don't know if we're gonna know where we're gonna live because honestly, this is a great place that we're living in, but we can't stay here forever. What are we going to do? And I talked to Trevor after the sermon. I told him, I said, thank you so much for that. And I told him kind of the issues. I said, I needed that today. Well, we were, that afternoon, we were doing some things around town. We were coming home on Sansi, going probably a little less than 60 miles an hour down Sansi on the loop because we we're about to come to a light and a car pulls out in front of us. That's what's left. Now, I wasn't worried about the plumbing. I wasn't worried about having a place to live. I wasn't worried about my truck being wrecked. You know what I was worried about? the brevity of life, that this could be it. That my daughters might might not make it. That was my worry at that point. And I'm gonna tell you, I had no control. I slammed on the brakes. I couldn't stop any faster. couldn't turn. We were going into oncoming traffic. I couldn't stop another car from coming and hitting us, which luckily it didn't. I had a real thought, this might be it. But I'm going to tell you, there was some control in that. 
And it was the fact that God sent his son to die on the cross and that blood covers my soul. And if I had have died, I would have been okay. We live in a world that we have no control. We think we have control, but we don't. But that's the control that you can have in your life. And it's not because we're great. It's not because we're such great people. And No, it's because we have a God that loved us enough to send his son to die on the cross. Life is short. Are you ready? If you're not, do something about it today. We can pray with you. We can pray for you. If you've never obeyed the gospel, don't put it off another day. Come to the front as we stand and sing.